Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Hey church, how's it going? My name is Mitch. I'm one of the pastors here at The Plant Church. And I'm so excited to be speaking to you today, whenever you're watching. I know sometimes you don't have time to watch it on Sunday mornings and then you could catch up on like a Tuesday or something. Either way, I'm honored and glad to be able to share with you what God's been putting on my heart in the last uh, couple of moments here during this series. Have you been paying attention to the series that we've been doing? For those of you who have been paying attention, kudos. For those of you who haven't, it's okay. I'm about to tell you real quick what it was. We've been doing the Come and See series. Come and see Jesus' agony. Come and see Jesus' miracles. Come and see Jesus' mercy. Our desire as a leadership team was that we could re-examine the life and the attributes and the, the words of Jesus. Using the book of Matthew, using the gospel of Matthew, we were hoping to show Jesus off in a new way that allowed our view of God to be magnified. That, a view, that allowed our like intimacy with the Holy Spirit to be deepened and our knowledge of Jesus to be widened. Using the back book of Matthew, we were hoping that not only would uh, we come and see Jesus, but that you too would come and see the King. And that's kind of how Matthew writes the book of Matthew. He, uh, he writes his gospel as if Jesus were King, in the, in the context that Jesus is King, King of the Jews, King of all people. And that's how the book of Matthew starts. It's not been too long since December. I, in December, we talked about the narrative of Jesus' birth. It's kind of like a Christmas story. It's traditional. But magi, wise men from the east, travel a great distance to come and see the newborn king. Matthew starts off with come and see. And throughout the entire book of Matthew, we see different ways that Jesus is doing miracles or, or loving people well or having this great amount of wisdom. Well, Today we're going to be looking at the last few verses of the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 28, there's a little bit of a pivot. It was come and see, come and see, come and see Jesus, come and see Jesus' attributes. Now it's go and make disciples. Go out into all the world and build upon the kingdom of God. Go out and share your faith. Our hope is that you wouldn't just come and see and just uh, do nothing with your faith, but that you would enact the things and the teachings that Jesus has called us to. Here's the scripture from Matthew chapter 28. The last three verses go like this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that anything I say that's not true of you, we would immediately forget it. I pray that you would be glorified in our thoughts and in our hearts today, whenever we're watching this. I pray that our view of you would be magnified and that you would be center of our lives. I pray that we would rest on your claims, that we would have this cool ability to build upon your calling and that you would allow us to be so filled with your comfort as we follow after you. Thank you for calling us calling us to be disciples of you, to be followers of you. I pray that this time would not be wasted, but we would genuinely 
draw nearer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this scripture talks and says, first and foremost, Jesus comes back from his resurrection and tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a crazy statement. It's crazy for a number of reasons. Number one, for me anyway, number one, I can't imagine anyone saying that and my eyes not uh, shooting up, my eyebrows not going, what? You know, if Lady Gaga, let's say, she's the first person that came to mind, if Lady Gaga were to say, all authority in heaven and on earth were given to me, (laughs) that would be crazy. That would be tweeted and uh, CNN would write articles about that. That is nuts. No one can make that claim. And if someone were to make that claim, they'd sound like a lunatic. Here's Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. No one else has made that claim. That's crazy. Number two, how do you even comprehend that? Are you saying, Jesus, that our concept of time and space, you have authority over that? I think he is saying that. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 13, we are dropped into the story of a Roman soldier who came to Jesus and he says, my servant is sick back home, please. I know what you're about. I know who you are. Could you heal him? And Jesus says, yeah, sure. You want me to go to your place? Like, how do you want to do this? I can go to your place and heal your servant. Or, or is that what you want? And the Roman soldier says, no, I, I know who you are. I know you're a holy, holy man, a holy God. You don't need to come to my house. You can just speak and my servant will be healed. And Jesus does exactly that. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Authority over time and space. He didn't need to go to the Roman soldier's house. He just spoke. And in that moment, the soldier's servant was healed. If you continue reading Matthew chapter 8, you'll see Jesus has this insane, infinite power over sickness, over the human heart, over natural disaster, and over demonic forces. He has an infinite power over these things. And it's worth asking, I think, like if Jesus has infinite power over spiritual battles or over storms in our life, over the circumstances, like why would he allow them to happen? Well, if he has this infinite power over these things, he must also have an infinite wisdom and compassion to allow them to happen. A mentor of mine once said, uh, some authority in heaven and on earth. And we would all look at that mentor and be like, hey, you read it wrong. And of course he didn't read it wrong. He was just making sure that we were paying attention. But that's not the point. The point is Jesus doesn't have some or, or most authority in heaven and on earth. He doesn't have a kind of a grasp on our circumstances or the situations or the relationships that we have on earth. He has full control. He's got all authority. He's got infinite power over these things. The statement that he's making is wonderful and insane and great that he's got this universal authority in heaven and on earth. He also has a vindicated authority. This is significant. Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, we're going to keep in the book of Matthew as long as possible, but in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus is basically saying, yeah, I will one day be turned over to be flogged. I will be crucified. And three days later, I am going to conquer death. It's a vindicated authority because Jesus, what he was saying was true. When he said that he was going to be persecuted and and crucified, it happened. 
And then he said he was going to be raised to life three days later. It happened. He vindicated himself by being resurrected. He has a universal authority and a vindicated authority. And it's from that context. It's from the, the, the freshness of the cross and the context of the resurrection that he then delegates some of that authority to his followers, to his disciples. And he tells them, go and make disciples. He makes great claims about himself that he has all authority to then commission his disciples. You know, sometimes uh, when you enter into a new culture or a new country, it's, um, it's got negative connotation for you to tell them, hey, this is how we do it back where we're from. Uh, usually you don't want to do that if you're visiting uh, your neighbor's house or you're visiting a country that doesn't speak the same language as you to then say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You should do it my way. Um, there's this very popular photo that I keep seeing. It's this guy, Keith Ford, used to work at a pizzeria in Brooklyn. And he's forced, this is both tragic and comical, he's forced to watch as his friends put pineapple on a pizza. Now, this is not necessarily a hill I'm willing to die on, whether or not you should put pineapple. Some people are so passionate about whether or not you should put pineapples on pizza, one way or the other. This man clearly did not think it was a good idea. And it's often a negative connotation that we have that we should go to another place and say, you should do this, you know? You have this uh, belief system that pineapples don't belong on pizza, but you should do what we're telling you. Jesus is challenging his disciples. He's delegating authority and telling them, go into all the world. Share with them that he is the Son of Man. Share with them that he is the Savior of mankind, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And it's, I don't know, we might ask ourselves, is that negative? Is it negative to go into another culture, into another place, and, and a place that has uh, previously held ideas of truth or, or beliefs that they carried over? Should we go into these places and tell them about Jesus, to, to share the same claims that Jesus is making about himself, to undermine maybe the beliefs that a particular culture or nation might have? That's a good question to ask. I think another good question to ask is, is what Jesus saying true? And when I say that he's got a vindicated authority, that's what I mean. He's been proven right. We've spent a great number of weeks looking at his words and at his miracles and at his works and at his resurrection. And it turns out, yes, what he's saying is true. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of mankind. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, we can rest, we can have stability or assurance or confidence knowing that the claims of Jesus are true. As we go and make disciples, we can go knowing that the claims of Jesus are true. The next part of the scripture goes like this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. What is baptism? I think if you really wanted to know what baptism is, that's totally fine. We have classes where we spend more time actually studying baptism and, and what it means. But baptism, I think, at a basic level, speaks to immersion. You see, when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, he's telling us the primary ways we do that, the primary way that we go and make disciples is through baptism and teaching. And if baptism is immersion, what does that mean? It means our identity is affected in every way, right? It's affected as if we were immersed underwater. 
our relationships, the way we live, the way we spend our money are all changed. It's all immersed in this new way of doing things, this new culture. Let me give you an example that might be a little bit more tangible. When I was back home, I used to surf a lot. I used to bodyboard a lot. And uh, my thoughts were constantly consumed with where the closest beach was or my schedule was uh, adapted to when I could go uh, swimming or, or bodyboarding or when the highest tide might be in the, in the day or, I don't know, I'd spend my money on board shorts. I'd spend my money on a certain boogie board or a certain surfboard or something like that. Uh, my whole friends, all my friends, I would invite them to the beach depending on their swimming abilities or this beach depending on that skill set. I'd make friends at the beach. You know, my whole life was kind of affected by this identity as someone who goes to the beach or someone who surfs or someone who bodyboards. So when we go and baptize in the name of Jesus, when we go, it's, it's a type of immersion first to be a follower of Christ. We are immersed in this new life. We are immersed in Jesus. Our relationships change. The way we go to work, our attitudes, our behaviors, the words that come out of our mouths naturally change when we're immersed in Jesus. When we are baptized, when it's the that's maybe like the core of baptism, but when we are physically baptized, we are brought down into the water and then raised. It's super symbolic. Symbolic of being immersed and being risen into a new life. Our old ways dying and our new ways being reflected. It's a public declaration that we belong to Jesus. Our identity is a follower of Christ. And not only that, baptism identifies us as being a part of the family of God. I'm going to take a risk here. Um, I'm like 99% sure of this. Maybe I could be wrong. You can tell me in the comment section. I don't, think you're, I don't think it's possible to baptize yourself. I don't think it's possible to do it alone. I think there's usually someone else there who helps raise you back, right? In the symbolic gesture of dying to your old ways and making Jesus a part of your life, your new life, I think you need someone to help lift you out of the water to lift you out of the immersion. We identify with Christ, and we identify with his church when we are baptized. Jesus calls us to go and to immerse ourselves into the lives of others, and to have them be immersed into Christ with us, to have them be immersed in the ways that we love one another, or the words that we speak to one another, or the actions that we take. The other way that Jesus tells us to go and make disciples is through teaching. Teaching future followers of Christ to obey everything that he commanded. So if God commanded us, if Jesus commanded us to forgive others because we've been forgiven, we are to go and forgive others. We are to go and teach on forgiveness. If Jesus told us to heal and he healed us, then we are to go and heal. We are to go and to teach others on healing. There's a uh, scripture in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. It goes like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. I feel like that last part of Deuteronomy, even though it's such an old book from 1444 B.C., it's so cool as far as like, yeah, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to have the law impressed upon your heart. I want you to talk about the commandments of God when you're waking up for breakfast, when you're watching Netflix, when you're going to 7-Eleven late at night, when you're crying on drives home, when you're laughing with friends uncontrollably. We are to think about the, the commandments. We're to think about Jesus. We're to think constantly about God and different elements and concepts of God. 
that natural desire to make our hearts set upon the Father, to set upon Jesus, is the kind of way that we make disciples, when we embody his teaching, and then we go and share that teaching, when we think about Jesus constantly, when we think about those teachings, and then from a natural place of passion we share that, we can follow after Jesus' calling. Jesus has given us a great calling to baptize and to teach. And it's from a place of passion that we can do this. I have a job where I am constantly making new friends. And in this job, I realize that I am almost always talking about my wife, talking about my wife to my coworkers or to these new friends or just small talk here and there, right? Stuff about like, hey, this is my wife's schedule looks like this, or my wife said something funny the other day, I'm going to share it with you now. Or my wife and I would love to get that kind of dog one day. Or I don't know, any. my wife's so beautiful. I share constantly because I'm so passionately in love with my wife that I'm constantly teaching others about her, the jokes that she's told, or the conversations that we've had, or something. When we are passionate about Jesus, we naturally teach others. It's just, it's too easy. It's just going to ooze out of us. So when we go and make disciples, when we are given the calling of Jesus, we are called to baptize them, to immerse them in our lifestyle and our culture, and then to teach them the things that we came to see. The whole series, Come and See, when we came and saw Jesus, we were able to then go and preach him to others, naturally, just easily. It's, it's a constant thing. We don't just turn it off whenever we want, or we shouldn't, maybe. The Great Commission tells us that we are to go and make disciples. We can do this confidently from the claims of Jesus. We can achieve this great thing through the calling of Jesus. And we can be empowered and, and you know, secure in the comfort of Jesus. The last part of this commission goes like this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, personally... There are a few words that I don't care for. I'm sure you have words. They don't have to necessarily be profanities or, you know, cuss words. Just certain words that bother you. One of the words that bother me, two of the words that bother me, are the words always and never. I used to get into fights with my parents all the time, and they would say these words like, you, you never do the dishes. You're always wanting to argue with us. Stuff like that. And, you know, there's times I didn't do the dishes, and yeah, I like to argue sometimes. But it's not true always. It's not true never. Did I never do the dishes? Point is, when you hear these words, it stinks if they're not true. When Jesus says that he is always with us, when Jesus says, never will I leave you nor forsake you, it should fill us with a comfort knowing that, yes, we are to go and make disciples, but he's going to be with us the whole time. Jesus says, come and see, come and see. And we sometimes want to read this like, okay, now go, go out, go out, go get it done. You heard the calling, go build the kingdom, go make disciples. And we think that we're going to go do it alone. But Jesus says very clearly that he will never leave us, that he's always with us. The most attractive thing about us should be the presence of Jesus. Oftentimes when people say how much they, they like me or whatever, I say, yeah, the most attractive parts of me are the parts that Jesus is a part of, the parts where Jesus is present, the parts that Jesus has refined. He is with us always, so that when we go and make disciples, we can be comforted knowing that he has not left us, and that it's his presence that other people are attracted to, that it's his presence that makes disciples. We're going to go into a time of worship, 
And I hope uh, during that time, God speaks to us for the whole series that we've been a part of, the Come and See. I hope that he reminds us of these different parts of the book of Matthew that we've been examining that allow us to just have this newfound passion once more. If this uh, is bothersome, I pray that we would re-examine, like, why is this bothering us? Why is it bothering us that Jesus has all authority or that we are to go and make disciples, that we are to constantly teach and immerse others? I pray that we would try and figure out what that is. During this time of worship, I hope that we are praying. I hope that we are focusing on Jesus and that naturally we would be able to go and make disciples with him, with his presence. Plant family, uh, I don't remember who exactly said this, but I remember there was this great thinker that said, the human soul needs three things to survive. Security, achievement, and acceptance. We have the security in the claims of Jesus. When Jesus claims to be the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, we know he's telling the truth. When he says he's going to be crucified and resurrected, we know he's telling the truth. We have security in the claims of Jesus, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. The human soul needs achievement. When Jesus calls us to go and make disciples, we are building we are in part building the kingdom of heaven. We are contributing as co-laborers to building the kingdom of heaven. This is so comforting knowing that uh, every empire we've seen throughout history falls. If you're like me and you're very patriotic, you might love America and you might see how great it is, but one day, maybe not today, maybe not next week, but the United States will one day fall and every empire after us will fall. The kingdom of God will never fail. You and I have the ability to achieve something amazing when we go and make disciples by the calling of Jesus. The human soul also needs acceptance. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. There's nowhere we can go. There's no time period where he'll stop loving us. You are therefore now no longer condemned. We have the full love of God, the full acceptance and the comfort of Jesus' statements. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope this message uh, brightened your day to some degree. And we can't wait to see you in person. I hope you guys know that the church loves you and is praying for you. And we can't wait to see you. Have a great day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.